Hello and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I'm Laura Friedman. I'm the president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. And today is Friday, January 14th. And I'm very happy to have with me today, Oren Ziv. Oren is a photojournalist, a founding member of the Active Stills Photography Collective, a staff writer for Local Call, and many in our audience will have seen his reporting in English on Plus 972 Magazine and also on The Intercept. So um, we're here today. Oren, thank you so much for joining us. I know you are incredibly busy. We, we appreciate your time. We're here today to talk about the latest twist in the story of Israel's assault on Palestinian civil society, which is, of course, its labeling um, of six major Palestinian human rights organizations as terrorist groups, which happened last October. Um, this latest twist um, comes in the form of a new blockbuster report co-authored by Oren and published yesterday by, by 972 Magazine. There'll be a link to that report uh, along with this podcast video. So we'll get into that in just a minute. As quick context for people who don't follow this stuff every second of every day, so back on November 4th, we actually had Oren on another podcast to talk about an investigative analysis he had co-authored, which is also published that same day, November 4th. And that was based on having combed through the classified quote-unquote intelligence dossier that had been prepared by the Shin Bet that Israel had shared with representatives of European countries and by all indications with members of Congress as their justification for designating these six groups as terrorist organizations and to convince particularly European governments to stop funding them. The results of that research um, conducted by Oren and fellow journalists Yuval Avraham and Meron Rappaport were reflected clearly in the title of their analysis, which was titled, Secret Israeli Dossier Provides No Proof for Declaring Palestinian NGOs Terrorists. And again, you can find a link to that with this podcast. So that was back in November. Since then, it seems that European capitals came to the same conclusion as Oren and his colleagues, which is that these there's no there's no evidence for naming these NGOs as terrorist organizations. And since then, in response, um, it has become known that Israel doubled down and circulated another dossier um, in Europe, ostensibly to make a stronger case against the group. And once again, Oren and his remarkable colleagues got hold of that dossier, which I will say I have not seen the actual dossier this time. And they examined it once again with a fine tooth comb. And once again, their conclusion is categorical and stated clearly in the title of the article that came out yesterday that we're going to talk about today, which is Israel's new secret document still fails to tie Palestinian NGOs to terrorism. And we'll have a link to that. So, Oren, let's just dig right into it. What is this new dossier? Who wrote it? Where did it come from? Who disseminated it? Who got it? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me here today. Uh, so since uh, our last publication in November, we were following uh, the story and the developments and the easily attempts to try and show they have new or fresh uh, evidence. And we were following it in uh, different uh, sources and uh, in investigative uh, ways and we got to this new document which is important to say is much much less impressive than the previous dossier if in the previous dossier we had like the logos of the Israeli uh, secret services and we had their quotes and we had their receipts most of it was even of a seventh organization that was not part of this uh, declaration the Gantz declaration of October but still you could see their 74 pages where they try to build sort of a claim. 
in this uh, dossier, which uh, I cannot really reveal where we got it from, but we got it from a number of sources and we know it circulated uh, between a few European countries, uh, we can see an attempt to push further this uh, claim that the Palestinian organizations are operating under the popular front, uh, but rather than evidence or even attempts to show evidence, it, uh, it has more general claims and statements with, without even showing the sources or quotes or giving explanation. So we saw some repeats of uh, previous claims. And in addition, we saw this time in the dossier, they had a page or a page and a bit for each organization kind of, because in the previous dossier, they barely mentioned the other organizations and what they were quoting, there is two workers of the health committee, another organization that was outlawed the year before, uh, that were arrested following an investigation that started in 2019. And they didn't work in the other organization, but after a month of investigation, a day-to-day, -day, like everyday investigation, like 30 or 40 days, including psychological torture, they got from these two workers general statements about the sixth organization. And here we see another attempt to really talk about specifically Adamir and El-Khak, which I think in the beginning, Israel didn't understand how important they are for the international community and trying to explain who they are. The, the funny thing, or maybe funny is not the word, is that they say that, for example, El-Khak is uh, responsible to strengthen the connection with the Palestinian prisoners. And these are all things that are openly on the website. El-Khak is a... Is a, is a is an organization that supports prisoners and represents them, or, or about, uh, I'm, sorry, Adamir. And about El-Khak, they're talking that it uh, works uh, in uh, legal ways uh, against Israel in the international court. Again, open knowledge and things they are proud of in their website. I think it's a kind of attempt to, to show how in their claim these things fit under the PLFP, but they don't show not even a beginning or a, a small clue of evidence. Like there's nothing at all, no quotes from investigation, no documents, just general claims that they throw out there and they, they don't back them. I mean, it's it's remarkable hearing you describe this. And I, I read the article that you guys published. I mean, I, I saw and combed through the original dossier myself and it was strikingly weak. Um, from an evidentiary perspective. I mean, it was essentially uh, the strongest evidence they had were quotes from people who are essentially being interviewed under duress and trying to save their own skins, arguably, which makes their allegations against, you know, it, it, it appeared basically like, you know, they'd say anything almost to save themselves or, or maybe they mean what they say, but it's not evidence in itself. On, on top of that, um, as you say, at that dossier, there was just like one page at the end for each of the organizations, which just kind of referenced general statements made elsewhere. It didn't provide any specific evidence. What it sounds like when you're describing this new dossier is almost the sort of thing you'd find if you looked at the pages for each of these organizations on like the NGO Monitor website, for example, which is a lot of innuendo and guilt by association and six degrees of and all of that, which... Um, is stuff that the Europeans have had for years. I mean, they've been making this case in Europe for years and it's been uncompelling. It, it's striking to me that this is what they came back with as the backup um, for the first dossier. Um, I, I wanna ask you 
a couple things that came up in the article. First of all, the fact it sounds like this is not an attributed dossier. It is being circulated by Israel. I mean, the Europeans who are getting it know that that's where it's coming from, but it's not signed. It doesn't say it's from the Shin Bet. It says it's classified, but it doesn't say classified by whom under what regulations or where any of it is coming from, which seems a little bit weird to me um, in terms of people receiving it as evidence. I'm curious about that. The other thing I'm curious about, and I don't know if this is something you can, you have any examples, the, the original dossier when you guys went through it was fascinating. Like those of us reading it saw language about receipts and I, you know, receipts that prove that money had been spent on terror. And a lot of us thought, I didn't know that terror organizations issued receipts. Um, but then when you actually looked at them, there was, there was one, you know, great example to show how stupid this was, where they had someone confessing that there was, you know, a receipt um, for funds spent ostensibly for PFLP activities, but the, the dossier had cut off the full quote. And by, if you included the full quote, it made clear it was funding for a dubke, Palestinian folkloric dance troupe, um, not for you know, the terrorist dance troupe. Sorry, my dog is shaking in the background if you're hearing noise. Um, so, I mean, are there examples like that in this dossier as well? Yes, I think there are less examples because the dossier this time is much shorter and it's more bullet points. I think they were aware of our claim that many times they take legitimate activities that, as you said, are published in the internet and to donors and they classify them as terror activities. And this time they do write there. Uh, they did, they had meetings in the office uh, regarding uh, Popular Front activity, which are not part of the organization uh, official goals or statements. So they're trying to hint that, okay, we know that last time you said that, you know, we see Dabka or other cultural activity or supporting prisoners as popular front activities. So now they're saying, they're kind of answering and say there's other things, but they're not saying what it is. They're not giving even a clue. They don't say it's operative meetings or secret meetings, or they don't even give a hint. They just say the, the offices or the facility were used to other activities of the PLFP, which are not part of the official uh, goals or, or activity of the organization. But this is, of course, very whitey. And of, and of course, they go uh, to, to, to personal people in the organization and go back to the 80s and to the 90s to show their political activity. And of course, it's important to mention that According to Israel, all the political parties, including Fatah, the main political party that Israel is uh, doing security coordination with day, day by day on daily basis, are considered by Israeli law as terror organizations. So not only the Popular Front, but Hamas and the Democratic Front and Fatah and all the main political uh, fractions are considered as terror organizations. And Israel, of course, doesn't differentiate between the political arms and the military arms or the parliamentary uh, uh, people in, in those organizations. Oh, it sounds like what you're saying with respect to the allegations of activities, if the previous dossier, the claim was we have hard evidence and it really wasn't accepted because the evidence wasn't good, this dossier doesn't offer any even claim of hard evidence, but even makes bigger allegations. Is that accurate? Yes, they make bigger allegations, and maybe here it's the time to mention that last week, 
Uh, the Netherlands, the Dutch government decided after an investigation they opened in 2019 following the murder of uh, Israeli youth Rina Shenrab, uh, Shenrab in, uh, in the West Bank. And uh, two of the workers of the agriculture committees were arrested in suspicion of being part of this attack. And the, the Dutch government opened an investigation. And last week they concluded that they will stop supporting this organization. Uh, the decision itself, of course, is very bad. But if you read the, the full document, the full decision, you see in details, they say that they reject the claims that this organization was uh, operating under the Popular Front or that it was transferring money. They do say that according to their investigation, there were a few individuals in the organization affiliated politically with the Popular Front. And this is enough for them to cut the the funding. We even saw that Israel didn't use much this decision because if you go into details, it's not so good for Israel uh, as well. But if we take this decision, we can see why Israel is now trying, although it was happening parallelly more or less, we can see why Israel is pushing to have personal accusation against senior workers in this organization. So maybe and that's an assumption, of course, they say, if we cannot prove something against all the organization, we can focus on people and by that try to cut the funding. I have to say that from various sources, we know that since we published the, the dossier in November, Israel had a lot of attempts in different way of meetings and different levels, not only here, also in the US, in Europe, with higher levels in the European government, to try to convince them and to pass more information. And we know in some cases, hundreds of pages in Hebrew were passed to European uh, governments. We can only assume this is the, the Shin Bet, the Shabak investigation of the workers, which we mentioned in the previous uh, publication we had. And we also know by some sources that they're passing different information to different governments in order to create this confusion that maybe some European governments will be afraid that others have stronger information to kind of, they're not, we know, we don't know exactly which information they're presenting to each one of the countries, but we know they're showing different information to different countries. And maybe, and another important point is that since we published the story in November, Israel and it, you know, it got a lot of follow-ups in the US, in Europe, in big media outlets, we know Israel did briefing to journalists, but we do, we do know, at least from my knowledge, that they didn't show any hard evidence and didn't publish any hard evidence. And, we, and of course, uh, we cannot prove it in, uh, we cannot prove it, but the fact that till now on Israel media, on mainstream media, on American media, on right-wing media, we didn't see any picture recording something. When Israel wants to prove something, they're very good in leaking from the army uh, we see it in South Hebron when there was uh, settler violence. So the army leaked this video that you saw soldiers uh, arresting two settlers. They, they have the ways to, to get information from with journalists uh, they trust or journalists they cover them in a positive uh, way. And we didn't see not on Israeli media, not on American media. We didn't see anything. I don't even, I'm not talking about real evidence, but even something like a photo of somebody from the organization meeting someone, a recording, uh, anything that if they had, I can only assume they would use it after 
such a big backlash they got from all these publications. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think for everyone who watches um, Israeli policy, whether you're right, left, center, doesn't matter. I mean, the fact is that when, when Israel has a video or recording to justify, like after after there's been a car attack or something, if if the evidence bolsters the Israeli narrative, we find we see the evidence very quickly. When the evidence doesn't necessarily bolster a positive narrative for Israel, like the young man who was killed in the old city, um, the special needs young man, um, that video is never found. Um, so I think that you make an important point. I, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of focusing on people. And I'm going to, from your article, from the recent article yesterday's, you say the, the unsigned document, unlike the Shin Bet dossier, profiles of six NGOs, lists senior staff in each who allegedly have or have had personal ties to PFLP. And here we're talking going back years to find evidence. The document does not include allegations that these senior officials were ever involved in the PFLP's military or violent activities. And I, I just think this is important, and maybe you could talk a little more about this, because the idea here of political association being equivalent to terrorist activity, which when you're talking about the West Bank, basically covers everything and pretty much covers anyone who has any political engagement at all. And then on top of that, this idea of guilt by association, where you have entire organizations that have been operating for years where no one alleges that Al-Haq or Al-Demir, any of them have engaged in terrorism, have incited terrorism, have financed terrorism, nothing, right? But the idea is this guilt by association because you have individuals where there's an alleged ideological affinity or some linkage that goes back years and can be distant as it needs to be. Um, can you talk about how that, that's playing out between the two dossiers, how you see that playing out? Yes, uh I think, first of all, it's important to mention that when they have concrete suspicions of personal or individuals working in the organization, they arrested them. So they arrested two people from the uh, agriculture organization committees and two people from the health committees, which is seven of organization. And their trials are still ongoing in suspicion of involvement in different levels in the murder of Rina Shenrab in 2019. And if, so I could just, if I could interject just to, if you want to talk about it there, in, in, since your last article and bef in between these two articles, you had the plea bargain for someone who'd been arrested in exactly one of these cases. And yes. for me, that was, I think for all of us watching it, what was so interesting was the actual content of that plea bargain and how Israel tried to spin unsuccessfully, I think, that content. And if you want to talk about that as well, because the, the idea of people being arrested and plea bargaining in a way that creates, that validates um, the, the terrorist accusations indirectly is, is quite extraordinary. Yes. So, so after the 2019 event, they started the investigation and this is how the, they arrived to the health committees and they arrested the two accountants, which based on their investigation, they kind of did the declaration against the sixth organization. And one worker in the, the health committees was Juan Iroiz, a Spanish citizen married to a Palestinian who lives in the West Bank since 30 years. And she was arrested and interrogated again for many, many days. And, uh, and you know, in the, and she was trialed, although she's Spanish, she was trialed in the military courts and the conviction rate is 99%. And many people, especially Palestinians, prefer to do deals to get shorter uh, 
prison time and also to save the time of having a trial of years in which they are arrested. And, and it's and, worth mentioning here, Mohammed Halabi, who is someone who's chosen to not have a plea bargain. This is the World Vision um, employee from Gaza, who's now in jail going into his, he just finished five years in jail, awaiting completion of a trial while Israel desperately tries to get him to plea bargain in a way that will validate their arrest of him in the first place and then they'll let him go probably, right? And uh, Juani, uh, in the end, in the deal, she admitted she was part of a illegal organization and also bringing funds to the area, to the West Bank, which is basically fundraising. And in the deal, they wrote she didn't know the organization was affiliated to the, to the Popular Front. But the interesting thing is that they made her, so in the, in the deal, uh, you have to sign the background. So you, you have to, because there's only two ways to approve something in court, even if it's a military court, either the person admits or the, the army has to prove its claim, its accusation. And she was requested to sign all this background that basically was copy paste from the Israeli allegation that this sixth organization or seven organizations operate under the PLFP. The PLFP is using civil society. And the, 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 the funny thing, or maybe funny is not the word, is that they wanted to, in one hand, they're saying she didn't know, even according to her, their narrative, she didn't know that she was working in an organization that is politically affiliated with the Popular Front. In the other hand, they wanted to admit things. And then, uh, there was some debate about it and they added that they found kind of a balance because they wanted to close the deal uh, that it, it's, it's, they mentioned that she doesn't admit, she just admit her accusation and she doesn't admit uh, the other things but she had to approve it and Israel tried to use it uh, in a manipulative way saying look even the military court approved this and this, and she admitted it didn't work so well, but you know, it was another attempt. And in the coming months, I guess I we would see more uh, deals signed by other Palestinian workers from, from this organization that would want to shorten their prison time. I think- and it, say, We should be clear, prison time, you're talking about time being held before <laughs> you actually are sentenced. I mean, yes. again, Mohammed Halabi, hasn't even been convicted, let alone sentenced, and he's he's had five years in jail so far. So that's what people, and I think for a lot of us looking at these cases, and there's a lot of concern of what will come out in these plea bargains, but there's also the understanding that if you basically are in a system where there's a 99% conviction rate, and you have a system that's willing to hold you for years um, before you even get a fair trial, um, you won't get a fair trial. It's not, it's not for nothing that people plea, plea bargain. It's a plea bargain factory, effectively. Yes. And in, in this sense, I, I think it's also important to say that for, while for Israel, it's very convenient that this is like taking a long time and people are checking it. And meanwhile, you know, this uh, assumption that these six organizations are terrorist group is, you know, is just getting based or becoming like common knowledge, at least in more pro-Israel uh, uh, areas. I think what we heard from European diplomats is that they believe that a decision will be made in the coming weeks or months. So why Israel used this tactic many times, even like the annexation or 
declaring some new settlement and then waiting five years and suddenly after five years it's being used and that's that's what happened also with the declaration against the sixth organization so the declaration was made but as we know money was still transferred nobody was arrested and suddenly in five years you can see somebody arrested in some checkpoint or when trying to fly they can use it when it's convicted conven convenient for them in this case what the European diplomats are telling us is that this is this is not going to work this way for them first of all they mentioned that all this declaration is based on the anti-terror the Israeli anti-terror law that is very wide meaning that even if you post on Facebook you support the popular front you can be arrested on supporting a terror group according to European laws this doesn't work this way in Europe where the popular front is also uh, considered a terror organization if you post on Facebook or on Instagram a support maybe the authorities would look into your page or maybe if you're if it's another more uh, radical religious group maybe the authorities will follow you or you know in, investigate the case but for sure they will not charge you for this and this is why the diplomats are telling us you cannot take a declaration that from its its base is is based on a military law on a military uh, application of a civil law and it's based on another standards and they say that the decision will have to be made soon because if not it's kind of betraying the organization and their role in the Palestinian territories and in that sense they also remind that the organization are kind of in between the Israeli occupation and the fact there's no elections uh, the Palestinian 40 and Hamas there uh, act their oppressive activities towards the Palestinian people and the organization are kind of maybe you know the the last place you can have some accountability to all these actions and they say that because the, if nothing is proved and if and this we have Ireland saying we have Belgium saying it and we have other countries saying it not in a clear statement but saying similar thing that if further information will not be presented reminding that the Europeans, many of the countries already checked the claims in 2019 and 2020 by themselves before this, before this declaration. And the message, the general message, we're understanding that if no further solid information will be given to them, a decision will be made soon. And of course, we cannot uh, be sure what is made, but the direction or the, the messages we are getting that it's, it's going to be uh, continuing to support the organization and kind of rejecting the Israeli declaration, at least from most of the countries. I cannot, you know, I cannot be sure. Uh, these things have passed from the level of diplomats to the government itself in Europe, because it's something that is taken very seriously and it's a very sensitive area, uh, sensitive issue. But from what we believe in, from the, our sources, we believe the decision will be made in the coming weeks or months and not in a year or two. Thanks. And for people who are listening, I think it should be noted that the U.S. has also um, been lobbied on this by the government of Israel from back in early November and presumably continuing and as yet has said nothing um, nothing to validate or, 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 or embrace these claims. They haven't said anything either to, to reject them, but you know, the US has its own anti-terror laws and it has OFAC, it has an organization that actually, actually looks at its own designations and has not in any way um, added its own weight to the weight of the Israeli allegations. So that's, I don't know, for good or for bad. Um, sorry, go ahead. 
Do you have something? Just if I could add one sentence. I think for Israel, it's very convenient, the situation that it remains unclear. Uh, what we get from briefings done by Israel is that what they say is that they believe Europeans don't want to fund real terror organizations. So for them, if Europeans are convinced by the Israeli claims, it's a success. But even if they create some doubt and then people are afraid to donate to this organization, like the Netherlands, that in their statement, they said, we'll continue to support farmers in area C's in area C because they were they were supporting the the agriculture committees and they, they said that they will they will continue their work in area C uh, in the West Bank through other partners but if they manage to create this doubt and uh, to make people or the donor countries to prefer to to donate to other organizations or you know to create this fear it's also a success so for them in that sense if there's no clear decision by the European states it's a win-win situation for Israel. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's been watching the efforts that predated the designation with NGO Monitor and the Ministry of Strategic Affairs knows that this is a multi-pronged action, right? So the longer these designations sit there, that becomes one more piece behind what are going to be actions. We saw the Israeli minister at the UN um, essentially using FATF to appeal to the UN to basically say this is about stopping, you know, terrorism, you know, it's, it's part of the international community's obligations under, under, under freely taken um, obligations. Um, I think, you know, the idea that this is going to be further exploited to try to um, uh, push um, so social media platforms, platforms like Zoom that we're on right now. I mean, I think that this is clearly just the beginning um, of, of, a, of a longer process. And it's, it's not the beginning, it's just the latest iteration of what's been going on, but it's, it's a strengthening. Um, I want to ask you one last question. It's something that that that's as as someone in the United States, I'm not Israeli. I'm sitting in Washington. Look, the contents of the two dossiers that you've analyzed and written about seem to suggest very strongly that there is not solid evidence to justify the designations. And on top of that, as you said, in general, and Israelis know this, when there is strong evidence, Israel brings it out right to show that it's righteous and correct very quickly. Um, and, and, and it really does seem, you know, for those of us who have argued for years that allegations against these groups are driven by political and ideological considerations, not terrorism considerations, this actually would seem to validate that as opposed to challenge it, this whole designation episode. But how is this playing out in Israel proper? I mean, is there a point at which even in Israel, people start to recognize that there's no real evidence? And, and here I, I think about the Halabi case, and I remember the, the article written back in, right around the time of the designations, there was a piece in the Jerusalem Post, which pointed to the Halabi case for, as a discrediting factor. And basically saying, the Halabi case seems to suggest now that an innocent man is being kept in jail because Israel doesn't want to admit it made a mistake. And that was from the Jerusalem Post. So is there a point, like a tipping point where Israelis say, wow, this is bullshit, um, or, or are we at a point where it's enough for most Israelis that the organizations here we're talking about are Palestinian and they're engaged in, in attacking or challenging Israel's activities, what they would see as violations of Palestinian rights. So it doesn't matter if they're real ties. And in effect, I guess I'd say, are most Israelis now comfortable with the framing that the mere act of being Palestinian or challenging Israel constitutes terrorism? And, you know, we close the book and we're done. Yes, unfortunately, I think the, the second option, I think when we see that uh, every, even on a violent action is uh, uh, 
like BDS is considered terror, or economical terrorism, or diplomatic terrorism, and everything is terrorism, and even Bedouins in the South that are protesting against uh, uh, lands, uh, lands grabbed by Israel is, is, are terrorists. So yeah, I think everything that is Palestinian, including the Palestinian parliament members in Israel are called terrorists on daily basis. I, I don't think, A, in the Israeli media, there was not much, they didn't deal with it much since then because there was no uh, statements by Israel or, or new, new things or new publications. So in Israeli mainstream media, it was not, uh, it was not uh, published, there was not many publications since. I think the fact that after a recent publication, also Israeli journalists that have much more sources in the Israeli uh, security systems and inside the government called us to ask about the dossier, showed that or they weren't really interested in the subject before they published or the, the Israeli sources didn't want to give it to them because it was not in Israel's favor to publish these things. So I think unfortunately people are not really interested. People. Uh, for people like organization like El Haq that went to the ICC and, and doing all these kind of activities, or of course, Adamir that support prisoners for them. I guess if they do think about it, most Israeli would just accept the claim that they're terrorists. They don't go into this nuance or details uh, like we do for them. I think any kind of uh, Palestinian resistance, even if it's made by civil society organizations that are recognized all around the world, for them, I think most Israeli would consider them and would accept uh, the, the claims they are terrorists. On the other hand, I think it's important to see what would happen in the government. I know people in Meretz and in the Labour Party were concerned with this, but as in many other issues, it seemed, you know, they prefer to stay in the government and not to push so much in sensitive issues and hope uh, this uh, unity government will uh, survive for a bit because of course, they don't want uh, Netanyahu to come back, but it would be interesting to see what would happen because in the coming month we have this issue. They have the, we have the issue of Homesh and Eviatar, uh, illegal outposts in the West Bank, and we have uh, many challenges for the more left uh, section in the, the so-called left section in the government. So it will be interesting what would happen. From for now, I didn't see them. Uh, you know, they didn't push much about this issue. Uh, but I guess we would see something in the in the coming weeks because this, as I said, with a European decision, I'm sure there will be also a Israeli reaction to that. Yeah, I, I think we'll we'll be coming back to you and hoping that we can maybe get you back for another podcast or a webinar uh, to look deeper in this. I would just say, as someone who has been you know in this sector for years, the shift from twenty some years ago when one of the main arguments that was marshaled to defend Israel and, and Israeli democracy and Israel's respect for rule of law and justice was on the one hand, the robust Israeli human rights sector, which is now roundly uh, delegitimized inside Israel by Israeli politicians and in, in, in the Israeli political discourse, but also the Palestinian, the existence of a Palestinian civil society sector. And moreover, one of the demands of Palestinians was to follow the lead of nonviolent protesters everywhere and have a civil society to give up violence and to focus on things like human rights and peaceful protest. And, you know, I said earlier, I said it in a different context, you know, it actually appears that the groups that are being targeted is be are being targeted because they did their job as human rights, nonviolent human rights defenders. They do their job too well. 
And therefore they're, they're being, they're under the microscope and, and being challenged in the way they are, which is really um, quite dispiriting. Um, so, so go ahead. Yes, and I think and this is something we're hearing also from European diplomats is that Benny Gantz has personal interest in an organization that is leading the appeal to the ICC. And of course, Benny Gantz being the chief of staff and later the Minister of Security might find himself as somebody requested for an investigation or even invited for a hearing or to give some answer. And of course, uh, this man has personal interest to, to chase this organization person and also national interest to, 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 to kind of like uh, to harm this organization and their work. And now they're busy defending themselves and they will have to, uh, to, to, it's also important to mention, they have to decide in the coming week if, if they will appeal against the declaration. Of course, the appeal is to the Ministry of Security, so they will have to kind of check their own decision. Right. And of course, they last week, they got, or two weeks ago, they got an answer from the army that they will not be given the full materials that were the base for this declaration. So as uh, uh, the lawyers, Adala and Michael Sfard, are telling us, it's hard to defend yourself when you don't know what is the information led to the accusation. It's exactly like administrative detention, that everything is secret, everything is secret files, you cannot see it, and how can you defend yourself if you don't have the evidence or the things that the allegations are based on? And I, I guess, I mean, that, that's a reminder of the lack of, and even the pretense of real due process under the military courts. I guess the last thing I would mention, I mean, you, you and I are coming together today after you were out um, earlier today at a demonstration and you were in the South Hebron Hills yesterday where, or, or, the, or the Negev, I don't remember, South Hebron Hills yesterday, or Negev where things are going on. I mean, one thing that I want, I think people need to remember is as with these designations, an enormous amount of energy and attention is now focused on essentially defending the very existence of these groups, even as the actual work they do on the ground, you know, talk about Adamir and prisoners. We just had a prisoner in administrative tension who nearly died, who was brought right to the brink of death in a hunger strike before Israel relented. Um, you know, the work they do continues. And unfortunately, I think, you know, regardless of how this works out in the long run, in, in the immediate term, this very effectively saps energy and attention and resources and focus um, from the core work that they do. Um, and that in and of itself is, um, is unconscionable. Um, all right, so I'm gonna end here. I wanna give you back the rest of your evening. Thank you so much, Oren, for joining us again on Occupied Thoughts. Obviously this is a developing story. Obviously we're gonna demand that you or your co-authors come back and talk to us again, not demand, but we really appreciate um, you helping us navigate the twists and turns of this story. Um, I also want to thank our listeners for tuning into this episode of Occupied Thoughts. Please make sure to check the FMEP website, www.fmep.org, for resources related to this podcast. And also you can find the video of it there. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. And the video versions are on our website and also on our YouTube channel. And with that, I'm Laura Friedman signing off until the next episode of Occupied Thoughts. Thank you very much for having me today.